it like having difficult conversations during this time of racial tension in the United States during this pandemic? My guest this week answers that and more. Just want to remind you that you are listening to Youth Mentorship and Mentorship 101, and I am your host, Eric Jean-Baptiste, where we are on this journey together to educate, enlighten, and empower our youth and young adults even better by listening to each other, hearing each other's stories, learning from experts, and just growing together. Just want to remind you, you can follow me on Instagram at youth underscore mentor 101, where you can find the link tree that leads you to YouTube, to Facebook, and of course, this podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, just want to also remind you that you can find me well on that social media starting a new radio show called for the z it's wednesdays at 3 p.m on 93.7 fm sca1 in massachusetts but also the recordings will play on social media as well so anyway this week i speak with uh judith who is a young adult leader in northeastern conference but is also starting a weekly series talking to uh, white people about their views on the racial tension that's happening uh, right now around the world. Uh, she's learning a lot by doing that, and so I wanted to learn from her. So I talked to her and asked her the difficult questions, and man, was I amazed at her answers. So check out what she says after the ad. All right, everyone. Hello. I am recording another podcast episode, but today my guest is Sister Judy. She is uh, active in young adult ministry in Northeastern Conference, and she's also doing something very interesting and that I want to talk to her about on social media. How do you? How are you doing, Sister Judy? Hey, Eric. I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's good to have you on the podcast and um, to uh really get some insight in your life so we're gonna ask if you could just start off by giving us a short bio about yourself and what led you to where you are now yeah thank you for having me um so i basically grew up in brooklyn brooklyn new york i grew up sda and from a very young age i was active in the church adventurers pathfinders drum corps drill team you name it i was in it um at 14, I was already participating in youth staff meetings. Um, so I got to see up close and personal how youth staff meetings were run. Um, although I was young I, and I, I wasn't official, officially nominated by my church to be a youth staff member, it's because I had a close relationship with my youth director that she was kind enough to let me sit in on meetings. So from 14, I was helping to plan um, youth services, youth days, um, social events, um, youth trips. And so I really got to see how youth ministry was structured. Um, I helped to make flyers. I helped to organize the young people. And so eventually my church pretty much saw my potential and I became a youth leader at my church at 20. And that year I led about 60 youth and parents to 
uh, YAHA, which is the Young Adventist Haitians of America Conference. I was planning a huge youth days and, you know, just speaking with guest speakers, um, inviting them to preach at our, at our services. Um, but I think uh, probably a year into it, I realized there was more to youth ministry than um, what I saw when I was a staff member. And so I saw like a lot of politics, which I definitely wasn't prepared for. And especially the politics within a Haitian church, I wasn't prepared for. Um, and it also got to be very stressful. So at 20 years old, I was also in college. So anyone who's a youth leader knows that youth ministry is a full-time job. So I was in college full-time, but I was also doing youth ministry full-time. So that was very stressful. And so I ended up resigning from the position. I, you know, decided a year into it, I didn't complete my two-year term, but resigned from the position after a year, just to focus on myself, focus on school, focus on my mental health. Like I said, it was very stressful. Um, and just focus on healing. And that season took about two years, I would say. And um, after the two years, I felt like I, I, I had gone to school. I had graduated with my bachelor's. I had entered graduate school. I had become a teacher. So that was like the fall of 2016 when I really felt like I was stronger. I was um, like in a better place. And um, I had also stopped going to my local church. I didn't stop going to church, but just stopped attending my local church. But you know, after that period, when I started going back, the fall of 2016 was also the same year that our current Franco-Haitian president, Daniel, um, that he was elected and he also was elected with a new, an entirely new staff. So I, I think that um, Dr. David McKenzie, the youth director of Northeastern, the former youth director of Northeastern, um, he had also been newly elected into that position. So the fall of 2016, I remember um, Dr. David McKenzie had a Let's Talk session at the Bethany French SDA Church, and he invited all Franco-Haitian youth. And, um, you know, he, he was just asking us, like, what were our thoughts on youth ministry and what did we want to see? And I just felt compelled to express, like, my experience as a young adult now and how we needed more young adult spaces. And there wasn't enough um, spaces for young adults to, to, who, who are transitioning from you know, teenagers to college students to functioning healthy young adults. And so I remember after the Let's Talk, I, me and my friend Naomi, who was with me, we approached Daniel, our president, and we asked him, we were like, Daniel, um, do you have a young adult ministry department in FH? Because we think you need one. And he said, uh, no, but do you guys want to be the coordinators? And uh, right then and there, Naomi and I said yes. And that's literally how I came back into the ministry. But this time, I was the young adult coordinator. And so in that role, um, we've done um, open mic nights. That was our first event. Uh, we launched our ministry. We have a YouTube channel. We've done cooking classes. Um, we collaborated with Safe Souls Ministry for a mental health seminar. We did a Friendsgiving uh, event that was very successful. And during COVID, um, we've had two virtual events. The first one, we invited panelists to talk about Juneteenth and the importance of Juneteenth. And um, 
we our most recent virtual event was the Black Workers Matter event where we had attorneys from the Franco-Haitian community to come and talk about their experience in the field as it related to Black employment. So um, I'm just really proud of what the Young Adult Department has been able to do and how we've been able to serve our Franco-Haitian young adults. And specifically, I'm just thankful and grateful for our leadership, um, our president, our VPs, for just giving us the autonomy to be as creative as, as possible. And I just, I'm really grateful for that. So what I basically got from what you told in your bio, uh, two things that really stood out to me was one, when you said that your church uh, noticed your potential and put you to work. Of course, that's something I love to hear. Whenever I hear some, a statement like that, like, oh, uh, my church saw my potential and uh, had me active in this uh, field or something like that. That's really exciting. But you also mentioned that, you know, due to some viewpoints and some realizations, uh, you started to see that uh, what you were doing in what you're engaging with was kind of discouraging. And you basically described what I would call almost akin to burnout. I don't know if it is burnout, but it was something akin to it where you needed to take a break, step back, and reset. Is that basically correct in what I'm saying? Oh yeah, definitely burnout. Um, because I, I realized that being a youth staff member is one thing, but being a youth leader is something totally different. Like I didn't see that perspective when I was just sitting on the youth staff. I didn't see the committee board meetings. I didn't see the talks with the pastors. I was just communicating with my youth leader directly. Um, and I could make mistakes as a staff member, but as a leader, the, the mistakes that you make is just on a larger scale and they impact a lot of people. So that that was very, uh, those it was drastic, two different things. Um, also, I know I knew that as a staff member, I knew the times when, you know, you would have meetings and not a lot of people would show up. But I didn't realize the impact that that would have personally when my staff members, um, you know, didn't show up or didn't show up consistently. It was it was very discouraging. Um, but, you know, people have other things going on aside from ministry, you know, like I said, we were, I was in school, a lot of people were in school or working. So it's just, you see ministry from a different lens when you are the actual leader. I, I, I totally agree. I think what you start to realize when you're a leader in youth ministry is the amount of sacrifice, the amount of hours, the amount of time you have to put in to the ministry. And usually if you are not prepared or told beforehand about that, it can lead to a lot of stress and uh, eventually uh, a burnout. So I think something I think that I've just learned from you listening to you is that when we mentor our future youth leaders and people in youth ministry, we have to uh, prepare them and tell them, listen, it's a lot of sacrifice. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of hours on top of what you're doing in life because we all have school. We all have jobs. We all have uh, we have to pay the bills and live in a house and have a car and all these kinds of things. So yeah. it's going to take a lot of work, a lot of time so that you can be prepared. And 
lighten the load amongst ourselves because I think what happened with you kind of is like you were kind of hinted is you were doing a lot by yourself. And when that happens, uh, you get you get resentful, you get angry, and yeah, you can burn out. So, yeah. wow. And I think too, I think one of the um, strengths uh, I think of the Franco-Haitian Youth Federation is that each department has two people um, who are the coordinators. So I mentioned my friend Naomi, we became the young adult coordinators together. So if I was uh, lagging, you know, she would um, pick, pick up some of the work or if she was lagging, I would pick up some of the work. So it helped to balance it out where you feel, you don't feel like you're alone. And, and that was the case for every single department, whether it was sports or music or outreach, every single department has two people um, working together. So I think that's one of the things that has kept me uh, in this role for four years. Um, if I felt like if I was going at it alone, I, the department itself probably wouldn't have been as successful. All right. So it's, it's, yeah. So this is, this is wonderful stuff. So let me ask you this, um, as a leader of young adults in Northeastern conference, um, what do you feel is something important to be telling, um, our young adults, especially during this time, um, I think you mentioned, you know, having uh, seminars about social justice and things like that. What, what's important to talk to young adults during this time, do you feel? Yeah, I think the most important thing to talk to young adults about is to follow your heart, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, whatever you feel you are passionate about, of course, um, bring it to God, talk to God about it, confirm it with him and then go ahead and do it. Um, I don't think we need permission from anyone um, except for the Holy Spirit and God. Like that's, that's you know, that's the advice that I would give. Um, you know, I started um, during the pandemic, I started a series called The Quarantine Chronicles. Um, you know, especially during quarantine, a lot of people were inside. I think this is the period where a lot of people started using the feature, the Instagram feature of um, going on live. Uh, you would see everyone going on live. And so I was like, I would love to do this, but in a way that uh, serves people. So I started a series. Um, at first, it was with my friend Naomi. Um, and we started talking about coronavirus and how it's impacting um, the different places where we live. Um, and then it just started to roll. I invited more and more people and we, and it kind of was um, a mixture of quarantine chronicles, but also young adult topics. Cause we did talk about dating. We did talk about mental health. Uh, we, I actually did have um, one of our Federation staff come and to talk about social justice around the time when Ahmaud Arbery had died. And so it was just a combination of uh, just things that young adults naturally talk about, but during a time when we were all restless in our homes, don't know what to do, probably bored or probably spending too much time online. I was like, how can I use this moment to serve um, and to give people good content at the end of the day? And so, um, and it was nothing that I 
had to, in a sense, ask anyone permission for, um, except bringing it to God and, you know, like just being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He put the idea into my mind and I just did it. And so I think um, young adults uh, and even youth, like if you have an idea or if you have an inspiration, um, definitely don't second guess it. Um, try not to think about it too long. Um, a lot of times God is speaking to us through those inspirations and um, it's definitely honorable and honoring to God when we act on those um, act on those inspired thoughts. Wow, that's uh, really powerful. I, it's something that I'm excited to hear from you. It's uh, something that I totally believe in as well. It's when God gives you an idea, um, there's no one you have to ask for permission after that. <laughs> you know, if he gives you the idea to start something, uh, you don't have to ask for uh, you should you can ask for advice, definitely. Um, and uh, for some help, don't try to do it on your own. Uh, but if God has put something in your heart and a ministry to start, uh, just start it um, and learn along the way, fail along the way so you can get better at it. And I think that's uh, very powerful. And something that I want to um, ask a little deeper from you, uh, Judy, because you talked about the Quarantine Chronicles, but you is, is that the same as what you're doing every Wednesday night? Um, no, it's a different show. Okay, so that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, you started putting a uh, Facebook Live where you're interviewing people uh, every Wednesday night. Um, could you talk to us about that, what it's about, and uh, why did you start doing that? Yeah, so similar to um, the Quarantine Chronicles, so the uh, I started Quarantine, like I said, because I felt like inspired to do something. If you remember in the beginning of Quarantine, there was like a debate online about whether quarantine should be used as a moment to rest versus as a moment to be productive. Um, and I definitely understand both sides of the argument. I know a lot of people have been working very hard and, you know, they need this time to rest. But I personally felt like I wanted quarantine to be productive to me. Um, so when quarantine was kind of over, I, well, at least I felt like in New York around end of May, early June, I felt like okay, quarantine is kind of over. So I ended the, the Quarantine Chronicle series, but I was like, but summer is about to start. And I would definitely like to be productive during the summer. I would lo love to do something more, something else. And again, in my just time with God, I just felt God tell me, and especially early um, June is, you know, the protests, um, George Floyd happening, social justice is everywhere you know people are really um just talking about it especially in the sda community and i i just felt inspired like you know talk to your white friends about what's happening get their perspective on what's going on um because there were a lot of forums at the time with black sdas um just black people in general um, just having panels together. And I feel like if this society is going to change, it cannot just be changed with Black people. We need everyone together. Um, and also, if we're the one, if we're the only ones educating ourselves, we're still going to have a new generation of white children growing up and still doing racist things or being racist or being prejudiced. And nothing is going to change. We need to educate on both sides. 
Um, and so I just felt inspired to have the conversation um, across racial lines. So immediately, as soon as the thought came to my head, I just a list of people came to my mind um, and I just started writing their names down and started contacting them. Uh, and it's been just amazing. The things that I've learned and the feedback that I've received from others who have watched has been amazing. And I, and I definitely didn't think it would continue this long. Um, it was just meant to be like a July series. But as you know, we are in August and I have three more uh, lives um, scheduled. So it's, it's definitely been a, a learning experience for me and I've definitely been enjoying these conversations. So one thing that I've gotten when I've uh, started this podcast is enjoying learning from other people. And I think I'm kind of getting that from you. you you're, you're learning so much and uh, getting a different perspective. So my question to you is something that you learned from somebody while doing these lives that just blew you away, where you were just like, whoa, that is mind opening right now. <laughs> um, something that I learned from someone. Okay, so I would say from everyone that I've learned, well, definitely the first two. Uh, if you notice, um, most of the white, the, the white people that I have on my lives, they're not SDA. Only one of them was, but most of them are not. And so obviously we have a different perspective as far as our religions. So I learned on um, my first live, I uh, you know learned a lot about um, the woman who came on. She was actually pagan. I won't get into her beliefs, but I was just open to listening. I was just open to listening to how she came to the beliefs that she has now um, and you know, growing up Catholic, but then transitioning to paganism. But yet she's um, she still has some of the same values that we as Christians we hold. Um, so that was definitely um, a learning experience there. But I would say across all of the, the people that I've had on, I realized that um, this is a quote from Shirley Chisholm in her book, Unbought and Unbossed, where she, she says, just because most of the hands that are that are on the reins of power are white doesn't mean that all white people have their hands on that power so the the people who have their hands on that power are white right and but the the important thing is that when a white person believes that they have their hand on that power too that's what makes the race the racial conflict that's what makes it even more difficult. And to be honest, that's what those who are in power, that's what they want, right? They don't want us to see that we are actually all the same. Um, they they want us to think that we are different. Um, they want us to, to believe that we're fighting against each other rather than fighting against those with power. So um, the, the people that I've had on my life, they're working class. Uh, many of them grew up in poverty. Uh, they are not like rich, right? Many of them experience struggles and difficulties in their lives. 
um, and had to overcome a lot of difficulties. And so we're a lot of times we look at white people and we think, oh, because they're white, they have power or they have access or they have money. But I learned that that's what they, those who are in power, want us to think. Not all white people have their hands on that power. So that's interesting because I think that brings up the the topic that uh, I think we get this argument really gets heated in that we taught uh, us uh, black people, we say white people have privilege. Mm -hmm. And uh, usually when they are uh, white people who are, grew up in poverty and had a difficult life, when we say that statement, they say, excuse me, I show me where that privilege is so I can get some of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where we get this argument. So, um, did you have that kind of conversation with them? What did they say about the the stigma or the the belief of white? Because I I in my opinion believe it does exist that there is white privilege. Mm -hmm. So what what did they say about that uh, topic? Yeah. So th what they said is kind of what we say, right? Um. So going into spaces and not having to feel like you don't belong, right? Whether you're a poor white or a rich white, if you go into a space, you kind of can easily fit in. You don't really stand out. Um, so that, uh, the, the, the word that I'm, I'm, I'm looking for this word, um, I, I forget the term, but it's, it's basically a feeling like uh, as a person of color, if you step into a space um, and you have this feeling that, man, I don't belong here. Like, um, I, the word will come to me, but it's just not coming to me now. Um, oh, imposter syndrome. Yes, imposter syndrome. So a person of color might enter into a space, right, where they've definitely worked hard to achieve. Maybe they're in an Ivy League school or they worked hard to work in a, a corporate environment and they're smart enough to be there. But because of the color of their skin, they feel like, man, do I really belong here? Like they have this sense of imposter syndrome, but a white person, no matter what their background, they don't necessarily have those same feelings. Another example might be going into a, a store, right? Um, where you don't feel like you're, you're being followed um, because someone might have a stereotype about you thinking that you will steal something. Um, so that's something that they don't really have to deal with. Um, if you're trying to purchase a home, right, you won't get, you won't feel like if you get rejected for a loan or, or if they deny you the home that it's because you are, it's because of the color of your skin. That's something that we people of color have to deal with. So the white privilege is it's invisible, right? It's invisible. Uh, a lot of uh, working class or poor whites, they don't see it, they don't feel it, um, but it, it's, it does exist. And so that's what I was able to get from uh, them. Another really quick uh, example is uh, my the first person that I had on my live where she talked about where she moved from a very diverse community to uh, all white community. Um, and then this was probably around middle school. And then when her black friends came to visit her in her new school, 
right? And she was hugging them and she was saying hi. And then the white kids looked at her and they said, you know those people? Like, are they drug dealers? Like, are they safe? Like, and, and like the stereotypes that they had of her friends who she grew up with. And she was like, they're my, yeah, they're my friends. Yes, I know them. And it just showed like from a, these were middle school kids and the perception they had of black kids or kids of color was just so negative was very negative. And so I think that even in itself is a part of that white privilege. Like the fact that you don't have anyone in your circle who is a person of color, that you can go through life and not know anyone who is a person of color, that's privilege. As black people, we don't we don't get that from like we have white teachers from a young age. We see white doctors from a young age. We don't have the privilege of just just excluding ourselves from the larger society. But if you're a white young person growing up, the you have the privilege of just isolating yourself into your white community, and that is privilege. Wow, wow, that's that is deep right there. It's something that I, yeah, I I I realized that yes, yeah, they they have that ability to. I think I was listening to somebody. I think it was Heather Thompson Day who says privilege is the ability to remove yourself from the conversation, from the conflict. Um, black people, we can't remove ourselves from George Floyd and Breonna Taylor because we're living it and we're experiencing it, and we're we have that fear that it can be us. While uh, you know, other people can say, "Okay, I don't want to deal with this," and remove themselves. And yeah, that's the that's 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 the privilege of it. And I believe one of the, your guests, um, who is SDA, uh, is also in in interracial marriage. Yeah. Um, so I, I was really curious into any insights you got from that, you know, and uh, an SDA interracial marriage. Did were they were they finding that the SDA community was as welcoming as any wonderfully people of 2020 should be saying, oh yeah, they're interracial. That's perfectly fine. No problem. Especially they're both Christian. They both love Jesus. Amen. Or did they find a lot of uh, prejudice and stereotypes and negative talk even still? Well, from what she told me, she didn't find any negative reactions to her relationship which praise God, right? Like, thank God she didn't. Um, Cause I definitely wouldn't want like that live to be about the difficulties she faced. Um, so I just, she, she didn't say that she had any negative reactions on the contrary. Um, she said that uh, both families were very open. Um, as a matter of fact, her family already knew that she would probably end up in an interracial relationship one day because her past dating relationships had been interracial. And so that was like a known fact for her family. So when she introduced, you know, her uh, boyfriend then, now, now her husband, it was like, it wasn't a big deal. Um, for, we didn't go into his family, but she said that they were very open. Um, as far as their church, their church is very diverse. Um, and doesn't seem like there were any negative reactions to it. So that's definitely 
a godsend that's you know that's a blessing um but we we know that that's probably not the case for all interracial couples so i just thank god that they had that um experience and you know uh, it, it's good to hear that because that's something that i think we need to hear we need to hear the positive stories yeah. and saying yes we did re they did react the right way and they were welcoming and they and they did say you know it it's all good because you know they they understood the content of our characters and i think that's wonderful because uh, i actually know them as well uh, i won't say their names but yes i know them very well and uh their con their characters are what makes them so amazing and beautiful so yeah. Uh, if you guys ever meet them, you'll you'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, so it's good that you got to experience that as well. Um, another question I wanted to ask is you have been talking to white people during this time of racial tension. And, um, you know, they I, I remember talking to some people after George Floyd and they were just honest. They said, listen, I'm angry right now. I'm angry. They were upset, and and I'll and I'll be honest. Uh, yeah, I I got a little upset myself because not not a little, very upset. I mean, here we are, uh, uh, people that have gotten a lot of discrimination, a lot of hoops we have to go through, a lot of hurdles we have to jump. Um, not as open opportunities, feeling that um, you know, all these kinds of the world telling us. You know, our, our skin color is this and that, um, all these things that happen. And then on top of that, even with all that we have to go through, on top of that, even when we try to be calm, collected, well-behaved, they still will kill us. And I think that's what a lot of us got upset about. And that's what I got upset about, thinking like even in me being the best I can be, helping all community white black any color they still will just see me on the street and try to kill me um so my question to you is you have been talking to uh white people about this and a lot of us are upset and sometimes we want to take that anger on the white people uh, what is your recommendation in how we should have conversations with them as you have been doing yeah um just there was a, a activist um, whose video went viral because she said, um, and this is this is not my position, but this is her what she said. Um, but she said, "You guys are lucky. You guys, as in white people, are lucky that all we're asking for um, is equality and not revenge." And that was a very strong statement because after years of oppression, slavery, Jim Crow, like, right? You would think black people would get revenge or want to get revenge, but we are still in a sense asking for basic human rights, basic equality. Um, just realizing, I think going back to what I had said before about just realizing that not all white people have their hands on that power um, I think that's really important for us to recognize. Yes, they have privilege, right? We talked about that. But at the end of the day, there's only a small percentage of the population, like that 1% that people talk about, that really do have their hands on that power. And when we 
come together and when we talk to white people, like the average white person, just realize that we are all in this together and we need to come together as a coalition and get and, and try to address the real issue, which is the, the power issue, right? Which is those, the 1% versus us, the 99%. Um, and that's really when we realize that our, both of our freedoms, all of our freedoms are tied together, right? Um, all of our equalities are tied together. Um, then that's when we'll probably have more uh, humble, transparent uh, conversations with people across races. Um, and I really think that's the place that we have to start. So, uh, Judy, man, you are doing something really powerful and it's, uh, I think it's making some uh, big difference and it's great to have learned something from you today and, uh, getting, you know, an insight into how we can have those conversations, because I, I'll be honest, I was afraid to, a little bit to have those conversations. Um, and I, I didn't want to be polite in those conversations. I wanted to just you know, maybe be a little impolite in those conversations, but it's, it's, it's good that you are having those polite conversations and, uh, learning a lot from it. So, uh, keep going at it and we'll be here to support you. So my question right now is, uh, where can my listeners find you to, uh, check this stuff out? Yeah. So, um, thanks Eric. So I, I can be found. My Facebook is Judith so friend, I do go by Judy, right? My close friends call me Judy, uh, but you can find me on Facebook, Judith, J-U-D-I-T-H, so friend, um, S-I-L-F-R-E-N-E. Uh, I'm sure it's gonna be in the, sh the show notes, um, but that's my Facebook. And then my Instagram, because one of those lives, I have been doing the cross-racial series on Facebook, but the last live is going to be on my Instagram, um, which is going to be, uh, uh, a white, another white man, um, right? Because white males tend to be like the epitome of the dominant culture, um, the the epitome of power. So I am going to have a, a, a white man come on my Instagram live to do the final uh, cross-racial uh, conversation. And my Instagram, you can find me on complete, as in complete, S-A-L-V, South, Complete South. That's my Instagram handle. And you can find me on those two platforms. All right. So uh, this is awesome. Uh, I was just trying to... So how do, you, how do you spell that again? The Instagram? Yes. Oh, Complete, C-O-M-P-L-E-T-E-S-A-L-V. <laughs> complete sound all right that's awesome so i'm gonna put that in there so people can see that all right so go follow her instagram uh check her on facebook uh and of course you guys know you guys can find me at youth underscore mentor 101 to find this podcast and all uh the recordings on facebook youtube and wherever you listen to podcasts so judy Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Uh, as I usually do, I give it to the guest 
to give some words of encouragement. So today I want you to give some words of encouragement to a youth leader out there that is feeling about to be completely burnt out, like they are ready to quit, stop coming to church, stop helping out in youth ministry, just give up the whole shaboying, stay in bed and all that stuff. Uh, it's been easy now because it's been COVID-19 and we haven't been going to church in the morning, but um, they just want to just give it all up. They, they're feeling burned out. What words of encouragement would you give them? Okay. Oh man, Eric, the youth need you. Young adults need you. Um, the first thing is talk to God talk to God, ask him if if what you, that burnout that you feel, that, that feeling that you just wanna take a break, ask him if this is really what he wants you to do. Because I know that my break was a blessing for me and I don't think I could have come back to ministry stronger had I not taken that break. So, you know, one, you know, assess whether this is God speaking with you, right? Uh, and then make that decision based on that. I know it's hard. I know youth ministry is not easy. Youth ministry is a full-time job. But on the one hand, we want healthy youth leaders. We want um, strong youth leaders. Uh, we, we need youth leaders who are uh, definitely um, just just strong, right? So, so talk to God and but um, talk to God and see whether or not he is leading you to, to, to take a break, to rest, or whether he wants you to, to continue and go on. Um, at the end of the day, uh, God has definitely not given us a spirit of, of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. Um, he has equipped you with everything that you need to be a powerful youth leader. Uh, so... So you can do it and if anything you have youth, other youth ministry leaders that you can reach out to um, that you can ask for their support uh, ask for their advice and encouragement so reach out to your resources that you have um, and really really pray on it um, because we definitely need you in this time